before you go back to your seat, just tell somebody, tell them, do what you were designed to do. Do what you were designed to do. Do what you were designed to do. Amen. You can return to your seats, grab your Bibles. Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're physically able, stand your feet with me as well. Grab your Bibles and stand your feet with me. Feels like I'm back in Catholic Church, Pastor. Amen. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. We'll kneel in a moment, but stand your feet with me here. Ezekiel 33. I want to start here, Ezekiel 33, and then we'll get back into Luke 16. But Ezekiel 33, this is where I just want you to hear this today. This is God speaking. He says, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord. Hear me now. God says this, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. Here you thought God hated the wicked. God, you're thinking God wants to send them to hell. But God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I only, here it is, I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. So what does God tell us to do then? He says, turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? Why, why should we die? Last week I gave you a stat just kind of based on simple numerology, mathematically. And here's what that stat was. Over 115,000 people die and go straight to hell every single day day 115,000 here's what I also told you last week I told you that hell was not made for you okay it wasn't made for you Jesus saw hell being prepared and hell he said is prepared for Satan and his angels but here's what Jesus said he said but here's what I do I'm going to a place to prepare a place for you Somebody take a moment right now and thank God. Come on and thank God that hell is not my destination because Jesus prepared a place for me to go. And if you'll help me just a quick, just a second longer, would you just look at your neighbor okay, and tell him I'm about to cuss like a Christian, okay? Look at your neighbor and tell them this. Say, go to heaven. There you go. I'm cussing like a Christian. Go to heaven. Now look at him. Look at him and say this. Look at him and say this. And while you're going, let's depopulate hell. Can I get an amen? Come on. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, Lord. Just wait till I got what I, what I got for you next week. Amen. But, uh, let, me, let me start this whole message off with a I want to call it a ludicrous illustration, okay? If you were driving home this afternoon from church and your neighbor's house was on fire, what would you do? Fire extinguisher? Call 911? If, 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 if there was at least enough safety for yourself, you'd probably go and make sure there was no one in the house, right? You'd go and you'd check on them. you make sure that, is anyone in there? Is everything okay? House is on fire. Here's why this illustration is ludicrous, because how many of you would see your neighbor's house on fire and then just pull straight into your garage and say, maybe someone else will help them. Maybe someone else will tell them, I'll do the spiritual thing. I'll pray for them. Would any of us actually do that? Are, are we that, uh, that so spiritually minded that we are just so earthly disconnected? That if I, if I saw someone in trouble, I'd just say, someone else would do something about it. I'll just pray for them. The whole concept behind this idea of depopulate hell comes from what we're getting ready to read in Luke 16. But before I do that, let me just show you what Romans 10 says. 10.13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how, here it is, can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? Okay, that makes sense. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? 
Perfectly today, when you go home, your neighbor's house will not be on fire. But maybe one of your neighbors is on his way to eternal fire. Maybe you've got a family member on fire. Maybe you've got a loved one on fire. Maybe you've got a coworker on fire. I don't mean physically. I mean on their way to eternal damnation. They're headed to a place of eternal torment. Here is the point what the scripture is telling us. How can they believe unless they have someone to tell them? Somebody help me declare in this place, we are going to depopulate hell because we're going to let the people know the truth there's an escape there's a way out we came to this place today not just to hear another sermon to sing some more songs but to recognize our need our need to tell the people we know and that we love your house is on fire you're about to lose everything for eternity let me tell you of the escape the way out the way to eternal life. Jesus told us this in Luke 16, and we're going to read this right now. He told us that the most passionate soul winners were where? In church? The most passionate soul winners are in seminary? The most passionate soul winners are, are on the mission field? Jesus said the most passionate soul winners are in hell right now. Read with me in verse 19. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and he was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet or in paradise, if you will. The rich man also died and was buried and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have pity or have mercy on me. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Because I am in anguish, I am tormented in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted, all sorts of good things. And Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over from here and no one can cross over um, from us to there. From you to here, from us to there. Then the rich man said, please, or I, I beg you, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have already warned them. Your brothers can re read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent of their sins and turn to God. Most of would say amen there, but not Abraham. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't even be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Can you say amen? Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Open up our understanding. Help us to grasp what it is you are revealing to us in these last days. So we don't just sit here as nominal, church-going Christians, but we recognize our role and the great commission that we are to fulfill in these last days. In Jesus' name, little God's people, shout amen. amen. Allow me just for a few moments, if I can, to, to show you the, literally, uh, liter the, the literary genius of Jesus. What he does is he, he brings these contrasts and comparisons right here in Luke 16, and he starts off with, with a, a rich man, contrasted by a poor man. And then he's, he says the rich man is, is living inside, living in luxury, while the poor man is living on the outside with his sickness and, and in poverty. And then it tells us that the, the rich man had, had health and, and wealth because only the wealthiest of people could afford the color purple. The purple dye was so expensive. Only the wealthiest of the wealthy could afford this color purple. More than likely, this guy might have been some form of royalty or, or had some kind of position because he had so much wealth he could afford purple and fine linen and he wore it every single day. While the, the poor man, he, he had nothing except his hunger and stray dogs to come and lick those gross open wounds as they oozed out 
Jesus said it covered his entire body. Wow. Kind of gross when you think about it. Nasty. You ever watch those videos of doctors that cut open, like, you know, sores and pussy things? You just... All over this guy's body. Covered in sores. I don't know what kind of sores they were, but completely covered. Also, in comparison and contrast, Jesus said this rich man, he literally, he... He lived in luxury every day. He, 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 he ate well every day. I, I can imagine, and, and forgive my Portuguese, that easy, but uh, I imagine every day he went to, to Fogo de, de Chão, right? De Chão. De Chão, de Chão, de, de, de Chão. I don't know how to. Fogo de Chão, the, the Brazilian steakhouse. <laughs> he went there every single day. But the poor man laid there starving every day, just longing for the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Comparison and contrast. Here's my first point today. In eternity, everything gets inverted. Everything gets inverted in eternity. Oh, think about it, right? In eternity, the rich man now has become poor. Woo! But the poor man has become rich. In eternity, that, that rich man can't even find a drop of water to dip his finger in. But the poor man, he's feasting right next to Father Abraham himself. Ooh, in eternity, everything gets in inverted. In eternity, a somebody who had everything now has become a nobody. But in eternity, the man who was a nobody now is known by everybody. And he's become, I was once lonely, I, I was once broken, I was once sick, but now I'm a somebody. And here's the major difference. In eternity, the poor man had a name. What, what am I getting at? Jesus told 38 parables. In all of his parables, this is the only story where he mentioned somebody by name, which means this isn't a parable. This is a legitimate, real-life story that has happened because he has a name. Why, why give him a name? Because in heaven, heaven is a relational place. Woo! Heaven, heaven is a, a relational zone. You, you get, you get friend-zoned in heaven. Because it's a relational kind of place. And you need a name in heaven. Because you won't be a number, and you won't be a statistic, and you won't be a color, and you won't be a gender. In heaven, you won't be a mindless robot. In heaven, you will have a name. Because that name will be written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And when somebody is looking for you, they will call you by name. Let's take a moment, and let's do what Jesus suggested. Don't rejoice that demons are subject to you but rejoice that your name is written in heaven amen and amen sorry that was luke 10 20 i got excited there in eternity everything is inverted the poor man now becomes the rich man and now he has a name forever and i don't know pastor Ogle, when we get to heaven if we're going to have assigned roles and, and functions kind of based on our spiritual giftings, all I know is you're going to love every minute of it. And if there's a job that needs to be done and you've been gifted by God to do it, they're going to say, Jessica, we need you. Oh, heck yeah, let's go. I'm going to do what, I'm, what I love to do. You won't be number 3,642. No, by name, we will know you and call you. Conversely, the rich man has no name because in hell you won't need a name revelations 20 verse 15 says anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire that's the second death Maybe I'll get in that in some future reference. But that's where hell, Satan, the de all demons, the Antichrist, the, pro the false prophet, all unbelievers are going to be thrown into this second death called the lake of fire. You don't need a name in hell because hell is not a relational place. Listen to me. I, I know there are songs out there that say this, but they're stupid songs. There is no party in hell. There is no cocaine in hell. There is no Jack Daniels in hell. Listen, Satan is not your wingman in hell. You have no friends, no buddies, no boo, no side chick. You will have no relationship in hell because hell is not a relational place. 
Jesus said it is total isolation, total separation, total darkness. And guess what? Nobody will remember who you are forever. Tiana, give him verse 19 again. Jesus tells this story, not parable, but story as a warning. And he starts off by telling us there's a rich man dressed in purple and fine linen, living in luxury every single day. Whew. You ever been around those people that are just over the top, extra, every day? Like you have to snooze them because you're just tired of their extra. Just 30 days, I'll, I'll, I'll see what they're being extra about then. This man, literally over the top, every day, he was extremely wealthy. And clearly, Rev Dev, he wanted everybody to see me, notice me. Simon, dare I say, acknowledge me. He, want, he wanted everyone to know who he was, see who he was. He would, whoo, help us, Lord. The reason you wear purple and fine linen every day is because you were all about fashion. You, you, you were all about having good times. You were all about them Benjamins. All about the money. All about spending it. All about yourself. Don't look at anybody next to you, but do you know anyone like that? I pray no elbows are flying. All about yourself. And you know, I, I realized he was so completely self-absorbed because every single day, not only was he dressed this way and lived this way, ate this way, acted this way, but every single day, he had to step over the top of a poor man laying at his gate. How self-absorbed can you be to not even notice the man? Let me say it like this. Hear me. It is hard to see anyone else's needs when you only have your eyes on you. And this is what Jesus really is, is warning everyone to understand. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean you're righteous. Yeah? And let me, let me flip it. In contrast, just because you're suffering right now doesn't mean that you have been rejected by God. I need somebody to help me for just a moment and recognize. In my moments of suffering and my weakness, God has promised my grace is sufficient because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So if you are going through hell on earth right now, continue to trust God. Hold on to his unchanging hand because God alone is going to bring you out and he has never forsaken you. He has never abandoned you. He will never quit on you. I might be suffering, but that doesn't mean I've been rejected by God. Whew. Jesus hung on a cross and, told, and simply said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we know three days later that same God brought him back from the dead. Everything in eternity gets inverted. Made right. Not flipped upside down. Made right. Second point I want to give you is this. Every doctrine about death can't be true. <laughs> this isn't theological. This is just simple. Every doctrine about death can't be true. Come on, there are a lot of misconceptions about what happens one second after you die. In America anymore, we hate thinking that anybody goes to hell, so we just tell everybody they're in a better place. Are you sure? Are you 100%? I know it feels good to say that, and it, it, on the other end, it almost sounds good to hear it, but what, what, what brought you to that line of thinking? Throughout the decades, in, in, the, in the millennium, what, millennia, what, we have, what we have seen is so many different doctrines about death. But what happens one second after I die, Miss Tracy? Where's the Bible says, Hebrews 9, 27, just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. That's what scripture says. Okay. Okay. Secular humanists and atheists, they believe that when somebody dies, they just cease to exist. They, they, they go into this place of eternal oblivion. Eternal nothingness. Just cease to exist. 
group of, of Christians that call themselves uh, uh, annihilationists, they believe that all the damned humans and even the fallen angels, including Satan, will be totally destroyed rather than have to suffer forever in hell. So they, they say when, you know, when Jesus says, you know, fear the one who can basically send you to hell, uh, destroy you in hell, they're like, oh, God's going to destroy everyone in hell. They'll just never exist. They're annihilationists. Okay. Universalists, they believe that every human will eventually receive salvation in a, in a religious or spiritual sense, and that everyone, that includes Hitler and terrorists and, uh, and serial killers and, and, and evil people, they will all ultimately be reconciled to God, and, and they call this universal reconciliation. Everyone will be reconciled to God in the end. And don't raise your hand if, if you're this or were this at one time. It's fine. I hope you're not this anymore. But, but reincarnationists, they believe that you live multiple successive lives. And depending on how you live your life, you die and are reborn as someone or something else. Jessica, I, I couldn't help this the other day, but I, I couldn't think how awesome would it be if Michael Velasquez came back as a seven-foot power forward. Because <laughs> Michael's only 5'2". I'm, I'm just kidding. just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't really know how tall he is. I don't really. Oh, that's all right. Five two. Bam! Holy Ghost. Uh, woo. Five three. Yeah, five three. With shoes on. Amen. <laughs> These different beliefs that exist about death, but but again, every doctrine about death can't be true. And I need you to know this: that that none of these doctrines I just explained are what Jesus taught. Can I declare something over us right now? We're going to believe what Jesus taught and only what Jesus taught. Give him verse 23, Tiana. Verse 23. Jesus says, first of all, that the poor man died and he was carried by the angels. Okay? Abraham, but, but in two, verse, verse 23 says, uh, when the rich man died, there it is, 22 into 23, he was buried. And then he went to the place of the dead. Okay? Now Notice. They're in torment. So as soon as he dies, immediately he is fully conscious. Some preachers like, like to preach a doctrine called soul sleep. They believe that when you, when you die, your soul actually goes to sleep and it is awaiting the, the, the judgment. But that's not what I see here. <laughs> I see a soul very much conscious and, and, and very much awake and, and very much aware. And, and as I was looking at, at, at this, Michael, I, I was noticing that there's like at least four of his five senses are... are if his human senses are in operation, I don't know if he could smell anything or not, but, but we can clearly see that he can see and he can hear and he can, he can touch and, and taste. And, and so we, we recognize that the human senses are, are fully functioning. And on top of that, he has the ability to still, to, he can speak, he can, he can communicate. And, and even worse is that he had all of his memories because in verse 25, Abraham says, Rem remember. Ooh, something you're going to do for all eternity in hell is remember. Re remember every chance you had to get right with God. Remember every opportunity that God presented to you in his grace and his love to pull you out of eternal damnation. You're going to remember the choices you've made in this life. You're going to have all eternity to remember. And then, of course, what we see is he's in constant torment. The, the Greek word here is actually, it, it, in English we see it as, as, as a singular word, but it's more of a, a, a plurality to it, meaning he was suffering from one torment after another, mental torment and, and, and physical torment and soulish and, and, and emotional, every kind of a torment you can go through, he was experiencing one after another, and it was constant. And, and here's the crazy thing. Verse 24 tells us he even had the ability to still pray Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. But I got a question. When did you ever show mercy to anyone else in life? Above all else, I want you to see this. This was not just any kind of rich man. This was a prideful man. And in hell, he was still prideful. Even in hell, he still considered himself to be superior. Oh, hello. You don't hear him, you don't hear him praying for forgiveness. No, 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 no. Because that's what I would, if, if I were to go to hell, I, I believe I would hear people praying, and I think if I heard people praying to hell, I would assume they would be praying for forgiveness and repentance. But this man was so prideful, he didn't even ask to be taken out of hell, because probably because he knew he deserved to be there. But, but he, he was so messed up. The moment he saw Lazarus, his pride kicked in, and he thought, I'm still better than Lazarus. And he said, go tell Lazarus to fetch me some water. 
oh, well, since you can't do that, then send him back to go and do what I should have done and have him minister to my brothers. How prideful can you be? And I need you to know that I don't care how prideful you are and how many possessions you've got, what you've accumulated in this life. Notice this man took none of his wealth, none of his health, none of his clothes, none of his possession, none of his friends. He didn't even take his name with him to hell. But the one thing he did take with him to hell is the thing he still had when he got there. And it's the thing that took him there in the first place. His pride. His pride. He still had his pride. The reason you won't lift your hands, it's not because that's not what I do, it's because... Pride says, well, well. Whew. The reason you won't sing and make a joyful noise unto the Lord is not because you can't. Or maybe you can. But it's because pride says, I don't need, I don't, it don't take all that. I tell you, some of you, you're going to be shocked when you get to heaven. And how much dancing and shouting and lifting of hands and singing and rejoicing and partying it's going to be? You're like, what? What did I just show up to forever? I am just trying to prepare your prideful self for a place where you will have no pride at all. You'll just be grateful you got there. He didn't take anything with him to hell other than the thing that sent him there. His pride. So I know there are a lot of different doctrines about death, but they can't all be true. I'm not going to put my faith in what Jesus said about the afterlife. And here's the last thing I want to tell you. The eternal word of God will always be enough to reach people. Somebody who knows this to be true, put your hands together. This will always be enough to reach people. Anybody like me, you have certain, let's, let's call them certain family members and certain friends that are so far from God that in order for them to get saved, you actually believe it's going to take something spooky or something supernatural or, or like, you know, like, like, a, like a divine uh, intervention to happen before they actually get saved. Anybody ever, you think about certain people in your life, you're just like, oh God. It's going to take lightning and, and demons and, and, and manifestations and, before they finally get right with God. Okay? Like, like you think, like, I, won't, I won't name any, any people in my, in my life, but let's just give them names like Pookie and Charkisha. Yeah. It'd be like, they need, they need somebody to come back from the dead and witness to them so then they will start to believe and they'll repent of their sins. You got somebody like that in your life. You've got some pookie who's just like, my God, it's, it's going to take a Michael Jackson thriller thing to happen where dead people come back before they finally actually start repenting of their sins and wanting to live right. Okay? Because here's, here's, here's what the rich man believed. He said this in verse 27. He said, I beg you. I, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Do something supernatural. Do something spooky. Send a dead man back. Send Lazarus back to warn my family so they won't end up in this place of torment. And Abraham said, my third point, he said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the eternal word of God. That's enough to reach them. Let them listen. Ooh. Anything? Okay, amen. That would be enough. But verse 30, it give me verse 30 there, Tanner. Verse 30 exposes the, the rich man's flawed theology. Look what he tells Abraham. No. Wait, you're in hell. You want to tell me how to get people to heaven? No. No. No, Father Abraham. But if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. I want you to understand what he's actually really saying here. What the rich man is really saying is the word is not enough. The scriptures are not enough. But where are the people who still believe that heaven and earth will pass away, but this word will always be enough forever and ever? I believe it because I've seen it transform my life. Verse 31, and I love this part here. This is where it turns prophetic. Woo. In an interesting kind of prophetic twist, just a few weeks later, 
What happened? If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus tells this story, and then a few weeks later, I don't know how many, John 11 happens. And Jesus is somewhere else, and he gets word from two sisters, Mary and Martha. Your friend, the man you love, he's sick. You need to come and, and heal him. And Jesus says, okay. And then he waits. The Bible tells us the man dies. Jesus shows up four days after his death, just long enough for the superstitious, uh, superstitious um, religious, and what am I saying? Superstitious religious. I was combining two words that didn't really work. Superstitious religious pharisaical people who believe now the soul is completely gone from the body. There's no coming back. He waits till the fourth day. And then he shows up on the fourth day and everyone's weeping and crying and Martha comes to him first and says, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then a little later, Mary comes and says the same thing and Jesus just reminds them of this. I am the resurrection and the life. Show me where you laid him. And they take him to the tomb where the man has been wrapped up for four days. And they say to him, my, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the King James says, surely by now he stinketh. And Jesus says, that don't matter because I know who I am. And Jesus, prophetically, he is telling them weeks in advance, they won't be persuaded even if someone comes back from the dead, but I'm going to show them anyway. And he stands at the tomb and with a loud voice, he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says at that moment, the dead man began to walk out of that tomb. And Jesus said, unwrap him, clean him up. And in that moment, he let us know, I'm not just a healer. I could have healed him when he was sick. I'm not just a friend. I could have been there. I am the resurrection and the life. He was dead, but now he lives. Boom, watch me. And then what happens? Prophetically, he says, Jesus is quoting Abraham, but prophetically, he says, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. You know what John 11 tells us? After Jesus raised the man from the dead, Different Lazarus, the same name. It says that the religious people rejoiced and shouted and gave an offering and went to church and fell in love with God. It says they plotted to kill Jesus. Because even if someone comes back from the dead, it might not be enough to persuade him. And Rev Dev, in another prophetic twist, just a short time later, a man named Jesus of Nazareth lays down his life on a cross, is buried in a rich man's tomb, but three days later, he defeats death and comes back from the grave. And yet 2,000 years later, you are still not persuaded that he is the, the Savior, the Lord, the King of kings, and Lord of lords. The bright and morning star, the almighty God, the prince of peace, the rose of Sharon, he who was and is and is to come. We're still trying to convince people today, 2,000 years later, and they still deny, and they still reject, and they still won't be persuaded, even though someone rose from the dead. The word is always enough to reach people. And can I remind you that Jesus is the word of God. And Jesus is always enough to reach people. Can I get someone who agrees with this truth? Dylan, the word is always enough to reach people. Why? Because the word is where faith starts. Quoted from Romans 10 earlier. Let's finish off in verse 17. Here's what it says in verse 17. It says, faith comes by whew, hearing. Yes, hearing the word is where faith begins. Faith comes by hearing. And what, what am I hearing? I'm hearing the word of God. This is where faith is established. In my hearing. I'm not even preaching last month's series 
sound doctrine. I'm simply telling you that when we profess Jesus, I don't care if you're doing it in Walmart or you're doing it on Instagram. When you profess Jesus is your Lord and you tell people what he has done for your life, you are sowing the word. It is the seed of the word. You don't have to decide who accepts it. You're just supposed to sow it and sow it and sow it. I'm going to let people know who God is, how good he's been to me. I'm not trying to send anybody to hell. I'm trying to let them know about the goodness of God and that he made a way to be with him in heaven. And so I sow the seed of the word. And if they can hear it. See, this is how you need to start praying for the people in your life that are far from God. This is how you need to pray for them. Lord, let them hear your word. And then when they hear it, let them be convicted and convinced and let them put their faith in your word. Help them to believe what they hear. Come on, somebody. Instead of, instead of oh, Lord, show me what to do. Oh, God. That's fine if you want to, but Lord, open up their ears to hear the word. So when they hear the word, faith will come and be established in their hearts. Amen. Amen. Thank you for those three claps. Hallelujah. So, uh, at least there's three people in this room that want their family to go to heaven. Amen. <laughs> Oh, wow, when I was 15, 16, 20, 21, okay. Let me, let me do something for just a moment. Okay. So when I was a teenager, I preached a lot about hell. I've been preaching since I was, like, full-time since I was 17. And I preached a lot about hell because it was the best way to get people to heaven, at least I thought. So, you, everybody's going to hell. <laughs> I mean, it's a good tactic, right? I mean, scare them out of hell. Amen. Okay. Scare them into heaven, whatever. I don't know. But it never really stuck because for whatever reason, I didn't have the, the full revelation. I was young. The full revelation. How to help get them to heaven. What I want to do is something I did as, as a young man. It was... It was a, you might have heard of this before, it's an audio. I'm going to play it in just a moment. But let me give some, some context that I didn't give when I was a young man. In the early 70s, 1970 to be exact, the Soviet Union wanted to, to be pretty much the, the first. They wanted to be the first to you know, get to outer space, first to get to the moon, first to, to dig and bore towards Earth's center, towards the core. So what happened historically, as we know, is in... in um, in a place called Kola, they, they, and here's the name, it's an it's actual name, it's called the Kola Super Deep Bore Hill. Super Deep, wow. They really put a lot of thought into that name. The Kola Super Deep Bore Hill. Now, the, it's, this started in, in the 19, uh, it started in 1970 to be exact, and what happened is, over the course of the next two decades, they were drilling. It took them two, 20 years to reach the depth of 40,111 uh, feet. This was in 1989. Can we give them that? There we go. So it is known as the deepest, you know, man-made hole in the world. You've got the, the Mariana Trench here, 36,000 feet deep. Remember, I've talked about the Burj Khalifa before, the, uh, the tallest building in the world. We talked about these things, but here it is, the Kola Borehole. Over 40,000, I mean different numbers, but 40,000 feet deep. They, they, they dug this hole in the earth, trying to through Earth's crust, trying to just get as far as they could. And <clears throat> what happened is they had to keep stopping over time. Here's why. Because it got so unexpectedly hot. The further down they went, things were melting. They, things weren't working. Drill bits were, 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 were melting apart and, and, and falling apart. And, and, and eventually the entire project was abandoned. Okay? Uh, because yes, the fall of the Soviet Union, because of uh, financial short, uh, shortfalls, they, they just could not continue their project, but that's what they got. Now today, it's actually, you can see it's covered over, sealed up and completely covered over. I don't have the picture of that, but um, it's still there. It's just covered. Okay. Now, here's what happened. The facts tell us that they just had to stop because there was not enough money and the Soviet Union collapsed. But the locals there in that area and conspiracy theorists, and even some, let's just call them super spiritual Christians, 
got some different stories that they've told. They believe that the reason the drilling stopped was based on something a little darker. According to local belief, the Cola Superdy borehole unintentionally broke through into different caverns and unexpectedly, and not by design, they found a place called, what is it upside down on your calculator? Y'all remember that? You punch, you punch it on your calculator, you flip it upside down, you remember? What was it? Four? Seven? What was it? Someone did that a lot back in school. Seven, seven, three, four. You flip it upside down on your, on your calculator and there it is. Ooh, uh, look at that. There are those who believe that when they got to a certain depth, it opened up into something else that they weren't expecting. And so when they lowered microphones down there, they initially melted, but when they found something they could actually get down there, they have these recordings that have come back and, and some of it, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Some of it sounds cheesy. Some of it sounds weird. You're going to hear two recordings. One was done in 2005 in a 30,000-foot borehole in Germany where you can hear, they call it the sound of, of the earth. And in it, you'll hear this really just kind of, it's this rumble. It's kind of freaky. But right after that, I'm going to play you the conspiracy theorists' audio called The Sounds of Hell. Let's give it to them. There's the manhole cover. And here is the other one. Never thought I'd hear the sound of hell in church, but I came to remind somebody, you don't have to be there for all eternity. Jesus Christ made a way to eternal heaven, to eternal relationship with the Father. He is the only way out of eternal damnation. I asked you last week, I said, if God, were, if God allowed me the option to send every one of our church members to either 30 seconds of heaven or 30 seconds of hell, where, where do you think I would send you? And I told you, I would send you wherever would give you the greatest passion to win souls for Jesus. I'd send you there for 30 seconds and only 30 seconds just so that you would get stirred up in your faith to say, I don't want anybody spending eternity away from God. So Lord, in these last days, I'm going to pray what Jesus said in John 4, 35. You know the same. Four months between the planting and the harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. Can I speak to a woke generation? You're woke to the wrong things. Wake up and look around. The fields, don't tell me four months. The fields are already ripe for the harvest. People are ready to find Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, in these last days, I'm praying for a burning passion in your heart to not sit in church, but to go and be the church and bring as many people as you can to eternal life. Let's depopulate hell. Stand your feet with me all over this room. Not quite the ending you expected, amen? <laughs> you can think that was unnecessary. You can think that was cheesy. You can think that was freaky. I don't care what you think. What I care is that you recognize. What have we heard? It's going to be worse than that. Jesus said eternal weeping, the eternal gnashing of teeth. I'll speak about that more next week, what exactly that means. But here it was, this story that he presents to these Jewish listeners 
And they had a, an idea of heaven and an idea of hell. But Jesus set their doctrine straight. And he let them know, this is what happens when everyone dies. You only get one of two options. I don't even have time to explain why paradise is no longer a place. We will no longer see hell. That's where all the souls went before Jesus resurrected from the dead. They had to go somewhere. And they couldn't get to heaven. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So they couldn't get to heaven, but they weren't burning in hell. And he told them this realization. There's an eternal destination for all of us. You will not be annihilated. You will not cease to exist. You will not come back as something else. You have one life that God has blessed you with. And maybe you are the rich man. Then rejoice in the goodness of God. Maybe today you're the poor man and you don't have much. But at least you have the grace and love and presence of God. Rejoice in what he has given you. But recognize it's all just temporary. It's not going to last. Everything I'm accumulating in this life. Pastor Olga told you earlier. Moth and rust are going to destroy it all. It won't last. But what is eternal? It's a place called heaven. A place called God's home. And that's where he wants you to be. I'm going to pray two simple prayers like I did last week. First, all over this room. If you are far from God, you don't have to be. Today can be the day that you give your heart to the Lord. Today can be the day that you, you literally surrender to him. And you will, you will have blessings untold, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Everyone that needs, just needs a right relationship with God, just repeat this simple prayer after me. Just say, Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I ask you now to forgive me of all of my sins. Forgive me for every mistake. Forgive me for every evil thing I've ever said and done. Cleanse me. Purify me. Transform me. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. I believe Jesus defeated death and rose again. And I believe he's preparing a place for me to be with him forever. Today, I invite you into my life. Save me. Lead me. Guide me. Be my Lord. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen and amen. Come on, let's just rejoice for a moment that now our names are written in heaven. Amen. Last prayer I'm going to pray and then I'm going to close this service. I'm going to ask you, I'm ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to, to join me down front, if you will. Everyone in this room, just join me down front. Unless you've got what you need and you need to go, but everyone join me down front, please. Make sure everyone can hear me, David. stand before you today it, the product of someone else's desire to serve God. I have an entire history of believers in my life. But they weren't all saved and they weren't always saved. My great-grandmother, my great-great-grandmother would take my grandma to church. And my grandma was a, was a Catholic girl. That's all she knew. It was Catholicism. She, my grandmother actually got filled with the Holy Ghost at 17 speaking in tongues when she was just working at a radio station, listening to songs like, like just something so simple like, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, no one other has ever known. My grandmother heard those words 
and gave her life to Jesus. It took a little longer for my grandfather. I talk about my grandpa a lot because my grandpa's my hero. Because my grandpa was my first pastor. But he wasn't always saved. Okay. Grandpa loved his cigarettes, boy, let me tell you. And he, came from, and he came from a long line of drunkards and womanizers. And he could have fallen into the same, the same cycle, the same trap of the enemy. But in his 20s, he decided to give his life to Jesus. He started preaching in his, late, uh, in his early 30s, pastoring. A man who had a third grade education, didn't know how to read, but supernaturally the Holy Ghost taught him how to read the King James Bible. And that's what he would preach. My father, he raised my father in church. But my father, like most pastor's kids, said, and he ran hard the other way. My dad got into to gangs and, and drugs and, and selling drugs and in, in and out of jail and, and literally almost died multiple times. But then, yeah, but then in his 20s, my dad got saved, gave his life to Jesus, completely transformed. My dad became my second pastor, and he's still preaching to this day. Well, not today, but he's still preaching. He's not preaching today because he's, he's down with my sister down in Kansas City. That doesn't matter to you. I'm simply saying he's still preaching because he was transformed by this gospel. Transformed. I didn't have much of a choice, Pastor Olga. My first home was a church. Literally. I was in the hospital and they brought me home because they lived in a basement of a church. All I've known is church. And when I tried to run from God, there was a spiritual legacy in place that I couldn't get very far. I, mean, I, I tried for all of like 30 seconds and realized I'm going nowhere. I might as well just give in to this thing. And I'm still preaching to this day because of those who set a tone and a trajectory for my life. They said, hell no to hell. Sorry for sounding all like bogus and then like, well, how dare he? But that's what they told Satan. It's going to happen. What am I saying? Why did I bring you to this altar? Because maybe you'll be a G.E. Becker, my grandfather. Maybe you're the first Jeffrey Becker, my dad. So that your children can be the next Jamin Becker and not have to run far from God and not have to fall hard and not have to get caught up in things. Maybe, maybe just maybe they won't be bound by the same addictions and maybe just maybe they won't be tormented by the same demons and maybe just maybe they won't get caught up in the one night stands and the extramarital affairs. Maybe just maybe you'll establish a spiritual lineage that they will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We came to draw a line in the sand and let Satan know, no more, no more. So I ask you to join me at this altar for this reason. I'm going to ask you to profess the names of every family member, every child, your spouse, your parents, cousins, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, grandparents, grandchildren, neighbors, co-workers, people you love that are far from God and let's pray this simple prayer today Lord open up their ears so they will hear the word and put their faith in Jesus come on let's start confessing every name right now come on let's lift up every name before the Lord I challenge you to lift up every name before the Lord right now every person you've been praying for lift up their name right now declare it's going to be different for them they're going to surrender to God. They're going to live for God. They're going to love God with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, all their strength. Come on, I'm, I'm, you are letting Satan know I'm setting a different spiritual lineage in place for my family, for my loved ones. I'm believing. I'm believing. My sons and daughters, my grandchildren, my parents, my brothers and sisters, my neighbors, people I work with, people I go to school with, I believe they're not going to struggle. I believe they're not going to end up in hell. I believe today's going to be a day where their ear is going to be open. They're going to hear the word and they're going to start to have faith. Faith in the only, one, the only one who can save them for all eternity. Come on, you've lifted up those names before the Lord. You've lifted up those names before the Lord. Now help me, let's lift our hands right now to God and say, Father, we place them in your hands. 
We place them in your hands. God, let them hear a sermon. Let them come across a podcast. Let them just be scrolling on social media and find somebody who will preach Jesus. God, let them let, let them see something I've posted. God, God, let, 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 let them literally just somehow in some way hear a song about Jesus. Yeah, hear someone praying. Let something happen where they're convicted and convinced. Let something happen where their ear is attuned to truth. And God, let this be the day where faith begins to be established in the hearts of the people I love. Because I'm here not just to get everything I can like the rich man. I'm here to depopulate hell. That's what I'm here to do. I believe today something is happening in the atmosphere wherever those people are. Something is happening. I believe they're, gonna, they're just going to begin to hate the addiction. They're going to begin to hate the, the, the uh, affair. They're going to begin to hate the pornography. They're, they're going to hate the anger. They're going to hate the jealousy. They're going to they're gonna hate the, those things that they've been doing that are evil and wrong. They're going to begin to hate it and say, what do I need? What am I looking for? What am I searching for? And then they're going to see your happy little self. Just so joyful that you're going to heaven. My name is written in the last book of life. Why are you so freaking happy all the time? Let me tell you. God, let them hear. God, let them hear. Amen. Amen. Over the course of the next couple weeks, next couple months, next couple years, be ready for people who one time hated your God to be standing right next to you with their hands raised, jumping and shouting and dancing. And then standing next to you for all eternity. Walking the streets of gold. Woo! Hallelujah. You see why we don't need possessions in the afterlife? I remember an old story a long time ago. Rich man died. All he had was a bunch of gold. He said, I want to be buried with my gold. When he got to heaven, he showed St. Peter his gold. You know what Peter said? Another one brought some more pavement. You ain't going to need it there. Everything you need, everything you need, God is. And you will have that forever. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't know today who's going to go home and start reposting sounds of hell. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not encouraging that, but whatever. The point is, I'm not going. And if you've made up your mind, you're, you're following Jesus, you're not going. So let's make up our mind collectively. My neighbor's not going. My children aren't going. My boss, I might not lie, but he ain't going. I'm going to tell everyone I can about this hope that I have. Amen? Amen. Just for a moment longer, let's, let's close. Let's lift up our hands right here because I, I can already sense somebody under spiritual attack. When you start hearing this stuff and believing this stuff, Satan, hate, Satan hates this. Listen, Satan doesn't mind us shouting and dancing and, 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 and giving and having a good time. He don't, he don't mind that in church. You know what he minds? When we leave church and we start acting like Christians and we start pulling people out of his kingdom and bring them into the kingdom of light. Satan hates that more than anything. And when you decide, I'm going to depopulate his kingdom, hell, he gets mad. Now you put a target on yourself. So, Lord, I pray a hedge of protection. You hear me? A spiritual hedge of protection around your people. As we begin to witness and share our faith, protect us from all the plans of the enemy. I declare no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you will actually condemn. Because this is your heritage as a servant of the Most High God. But more than that, you're not just a servant, you are a son and a daughter and daddy is going to protect you at all costs so father keep them in your hand bless them let their light shine bright show them your goodness and let every enemy and sinner see you have prepared a table for them right there in the midst of haters I got to get you out of here. When you go, the Bible says you're bringing the gospel of peace. Blessed are the feet of those who bring this gospel. Your feet are blessed. 
so go. And as you go and you take the gospel, you might as well stomp on some demons along the way, baby. You might as you ain't up here. You ain't in here. You are under my feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan as I go. So this week, get your witness on. Get your devil stomping on. Bring people into the kingdom. And though his attacks will be there, they will not prosper. They will not prosper. You are protected by the blood of the Lamb. Amen and amen.